0: Well, folks, way back in chapter 9 in the Gospel according to St. Luke, Jesus has set His face toward Jerusalem. In chapter 19, He arrived in Jerusalem, and now in chapter 20, Jesus was kind of hanging around the temple and naturally was asked a few questions by the religious authorities. A couple of those we've covered in recent Sundays. The last one is the subject... Today, of today's reading therefore in the resurrection whose wife will she be for the seven had her as a wife kind of sounds like Elizabeth Taylor doesn't it? <laughs> how many of us here this morning think that this last question really has anything to do with marriage Me neither. And I know that being good Episcopalians, you all remember who the players were, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, but let me review for those throngs of visitors who may be in the congregation this morning. (laughs) The Sadducees were a sect of ancient Jews that accepted only the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Torah, as authoritative scripture. They gave the writings of the prophets a much lower place in their system, and they rejected the oral tradition altogether. They also tended to be wealthy and politically active, and they absolutely rejected the idea of a resurrection because it's not found in the Torah. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were an overtly religious and very pious bunch who accepted the Torah and the prophets as authoritative scripture and they relied heavily on oral tradition to understand the scripture. And they did believe in a resurrection. The Sadducees invited Jesus into what they thought was no-win territory between the no-resurrection Sadducees and the resurrection-believing Pharisees, a place where he was bound to alienate at least half of them. And if he said that all seven brothers would be the woman's husbands, he'd alienate all of them. Well, people could imagine a man with seven wives. But gender equality was a long, long way off. And no one would have possibly imagined a woman having had seven husbands. This whole thing smacks of the kind of esoteric theology that the Sadducees were really famous for. For them, marriage was a business proposition. Simply a way of ensuring that the family line continued. It was also a protection of sorts for widowed women. Marriage was a crucial element in maintaining the social and financial structure, the stability in their world. But of course the question really had nothing to do with the poor woman and what she would have had to go through through all this. It was all about the intellectual quicksand into which Jesus and the Pharisees entered with their crazy ideas like life after death. So, so, I think it's kind of important to pay careful attention to what Jesus had to say to the Sadducees when they asked him about the woman with seven husbands. After all, after all if we're going to get any reliable answer about the hereafter, I think we're surely more likely to get it from Jesus than some psychic with a 900 number and a bank account. Besides, this is one of the very few times Jesus does deal with a direct question about this issue. He simply quoted from the book of Exodus, which the Sadducees did believe it was authoritative. Jesus used the text to show them that the present and living tense of the verb was used when God spoke to Moses from a burning bush. He said, I am the God of your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then he said that the woman in question would not be anybody's wife. He said that the question was really silly because things will be different and people will be different. He said that we will all be like angels, children of the resurrection, which was, by the way, another dig at the Sadducees because they didn't believe in angels either. Jesus said, in effect, that God would handle things very efficiently, without the help of the Sadducees. Thank you very much. The Christian belief in the resurrection is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus, and it is an essential tenet of the Christian faith. Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth, if Christ has has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith also is in fame. in our gospel lesson Jesus gives us a now perspective when he says now he is not the God of the dead but of the living for all are alive in him the resurrection in heaven the hereafter is something that Christians talk about a lot We look forward to it. At times we yearn for it. But even in the words of Jesus in today's gospel, we aren't given much concrete information about it. To say that we will be like angels sounds great, but that still really doesn't tell me much because I'm not sure I really know what angels are like. I do understand that eternal life is consistent with, but different from immortality. It is not more of the same old thing that is life on this earth. It's different. And frankly, I'm bothered by the prospect of having no need to be married to that sweet woman with whom I've shared my life. The Sadducees came to Jesus with this really great question. Even if their motives for the question were suspect, it was a great question. And truthfully, I'm a little disappointed by the answer because we little, know a little more about the resurrected life than we did before. There are, of course, other clues, but Jesus simply isn't telling. Don't sweat the small stuff, he seems to say, God's in charge. Also, let me say, that I don't believe that people who share the true gift of marital love, the sacrament of holy matrimony, will simply be wandering around heaven unattached at the heart. I believe that when Christ says that in the age to come, we neither marry or are given in marriage, what he means is that the Sadducee idea of marriage as a business proposition Where the woman is but reproductive chattel will not occur in his heavenly kingdom. The mutual gift of love that binds two people in the sacrament of holy matrimony is a gift I pray will continue. What is central to our understanding of the resurrection is that we understand. We understand that our hope does not come from knowing what our interpersonal relationships will be in the afterlife. Our hope comes from knowing Jesus and being in relationship with him. Our hope comes from the very nature of God and our trust in the power and love of God. There is no other source of real hope. Not only do we not know any of the details of life to come, we're not ever going to know any of, the, of those details at least on this side of our journey i think I think the transition from this world to the next may have something in common in common with the transition from the womb to the nursery it's not usually an easy trip, and if you could tell a baby in the womb what well, life would be like after it was born it probably wouldn't sound that great it probably wouldn't sound like it was worth the trip but the baby in the womb wouldn't want to hear that it would grow up and leave its mother would it? but things begin to look different after we're born and start to grow up my point is that just as the baby in the womb can't really understand life outside the womb, neither can we fully understand life after death. Heaven will be very, very different from anything we know. So different that we really can't comprehend it. In the end, if you were to ask me what heaven will be like, I'd just have to say, good heaven will be really really good and that's all I know for sure Amen